can you draw a picture of your mom for me? Okay. Okay, guys. Uh, today I will show you how to draw our moms for my birthday. First, my mom has brown hair, so I'm going to start with brown. My mommy has dark brown hair, and she's really pretty. What's your favorite thing about your mom? Um, she cooks me graphics. Um, she gives me kisses and hugs. My mom um really um likes us to have fun, but she loves for us to be safe also. Do you look like your mom? Uh, yeah. Some people say we're twin sisters. Yeah. The first thing that I always do with my mommy is give her a hug and a kiss. I like playing piano with her. Sometimes I play outside with her. So I'm just gonna add a little blue word because it looks so cute in there. Um, one time I let her play with me on Plants vs. Zombies. Is she good at Plants vs. Zombies? Nope. She needs more training. Does she ever do anything silly? She sneezes. Super loud. She's like, Achoo! she She's allergic to pollen, but it's so loud I can hear it from my room. She was in the kitchen. Does your mom give you lots of hugs? Yes, they're bear hugs. Oh, yeah, that's a good hug. I love her because she's the greatest mom I could ever ask for, and also my best friend, best friend forever. I love her. She does everything for me. I really love my mom because she does a lot of amazing stuff for us. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. She's the best mommy in the world. And I bet every boy and every girl thinks that about their moms. And it's true. Happy Mother's Day. And Mom, if you're watching, I love you. Amen to that. Happy Mother's Day. So glad that you're here today. Why don't you take your Bibles and we'll go to Matthew chapter 11 um, in just a few moments. And if you need a Bible, just wave at one of the ushers. They'll be glad to let you borrow one and you can turn to Matthew chapter 11. Well, I think it's, it's really an important thing for churches to do what we're doing today. Um, to honor our mothers, not just because President Woodrow Wilson started the tradition 104 years ago, but simply because every mom, as the video said, does a lot of things and makes a lot of sacrifices for us along the way. I read a piece um, that was describing the different stages that we pass through with our mothers. It says, when you're four, you think your mom can do anything. By the time you're 12, you're thinking mom doesn't know everything. By 14, you're sure mom doesn't know anything. At 18, you're saying mom is so out of step with the times, so backwards. At 25, you're thinking, well, mom may know a few things. At 35, you're thinking, 
Before we decide on this one, let's ask mom's opinion. At 45, you're saying, I wonder what my mom would say about this. And at 65, you're saying, I wish I could just talk to her one more time. Some of you are having that feeling even today. You miss your mom because she's not here on earth anymore, right? Now, I realize that on a day like this, um, there's not universal happiness uh, in our midst. Some here, maybe you had strained uh, relationships uh, with your mom, and it's just still kind of a sore uh, subject in your soul. Uh, others, maybe you, you haven't got to be a mom. Maybe you wanted to be a mom, and it just hadn't worked out that way for you to be, get to be a mom. Um, but I also know that there's many of us that, that, well, once you became a parent, you realize, wow, there's a lot more goes into this than I ever realized with my mom or dad. Um, <clears throat> so today's a good day that maybe you could call your mom or if you see her, tell her in person how much she means to you and thanks for what she did. Um, so as a church, I think it'd be appropriate uh, for us from our hearts to all just express we thank God for our mothers. We honor you today. You don't have to if you don't want to, but you could clap right now if you, if you felt like it. It's a good time to do that. So I've been pondering something as I've been preparing for talking about Mother's Day. I've been talking about this, pondering this thing called mother guilt, mommy guilt, the guilt that moms feel. And I've noticed something. It doesn't really matter. It seems like every mom, regardless of what stage or station she in, she feels this, this guilt. For example, I have talked to moms who work uh, not outside the home, but they work plenty inside the home. And sometimes though, they feel a little guilty. Sort of like uh, something inside their, 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 it's like they hear a little voice inside themselves saying, you should probably be out there doing more, contributing more, accomplishing more, changing the world more. But flip the coin over. I've also had conversations and heard the, the quiet confessions of moms who work outside the home, high octane. High accomplishment, go get them, you know, sort of women. But in their quieter moments, they sigh and say, oh, I, feel, I feel guilty uh, myself because I do work outside the home. And I suppose if I were home, the, our home might somehow be improved and the kids might be better off in our marriage too. So nobody gets a pass on this, I've noticed. It seems like moms, regardless, they, they wrestle with this, this guilt thing because all of them want to do a good job and no matter how hard they're trying and they're all trying to do their best. But many times it just still feels like it's not the best isn't good enough yet. Just this past week, I got an email from a wonderful mom in, in our church. She wrote, Ken, we're in some serious, we need some serious prayers for our children. 
It's like a terrible spiritual battle is going on, and I'm feeling so discouraged and so overwhelmed, like I have failed with the gifts of children that God entrusted us with. Well, I wrote her back and said, no, you've not failed. It's mom guilt. It doesn't even go away even after the kids grow up and are gone. I've noticed that even with my own mom. I don't think she'd mind me telling. Story, back, to, back when I was uh, 11 years old, I was in a biking accident. And they found me on the intersection of Tanglewood Boulevard and Candlewood. Um, and I was unconscious, lying there in the middle of the street, and my bike was lying there next to me. The EMTs had come and loaded me onto the ambulance, unconscious, but before driving off, they were asking the crowd of onlookers who had gathered, Does any, can anybody identify this boy? We really need to have identification before we drive him off to a hospital. Right about then, one of my neighbors, uh, a kid, he, he, he rode up on his bike, and he looked me over and said, well, that's Kenneth Werline. I can take you straight to his house, get, you know, follow him on his bike. And so the ambulance got in front of my home, and the EMTs walked up and, and rang the doorbell, and there's my mom. And they said, your son has been in some sort of uh, bike accident, and he is uh, in the ambulance. I was unconscious. I had a skull fracture. I had uh, a concussion. I was in the hospital for a week, had a neck brace for a long time, still have amnesia from that whole week, don't remember one bit of it. <clears throat> but I know this, it was my fault. Whatever happened, I mean, I was the one riding the bike, right? In a day that you didn't have helmets, I don't even think bike helmets had been invented back then. I was the one riding the bike. It was my body. Whatever happened, it was my fault. And yet to this day, my mom, she's still like, oh, I just feel so guilty that I let you ride your bike that day. I should. I'm like, mom, it's not your fault. It's my fault. I don't know. It's, it, but I know that she needs to hear. But I forgive you, and you're a great mom. And so, you know, we go through it once again. And it's that mom... <laughs> It's that mom guilt, right? It never quite goes away. It probably didn't help that sometimes when I got in troubles, I might have mentioned, well, if my mom hadn't let me ride my bike that day that I had a head injury, maybe things would have come out a little bit better. So we kids, we, we, can, uh, we can exacerbate the, the, the mom guilt as well, can't we? Um, so why all this self-condemnation? Why all the comparing from one person to person? I don't know that I can answer exactly why, but I think I can answer what could help. And that's what we really want, isn't it? I want us to look at this passage, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. I'll read it to you and then we'll talk about it. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light now we read that and most of us are city slickers and we don't have a lot of experience in the agrarian lifestyle and we're like what? I don't even know what a yoke is so to really understand the passage, you have to understand a little bit about yokes. In fact, I learned a little bit more even from somebody after, after the first service today. 
So, so the, here's a picture. First of all, the, this is what the yoke is. It's, it's a wooden harness that fastened over the necks of two animals that attached them together as they were going to pull a plow or pull a cart. Uh, so you'd have two oxen or two cows or, or this sort of thing. And, <clears throat> and so what is Jesus saying here when he's saying, hey, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'll tell you what he's saying. It has to do with um, the way the animals fit into the yoke. So for example, if you have a big, strong animal and a little bit smaller, weaker animal and they're yoked in together, guess who's got the better end of that deal? The smaller, weaker one. It's kind of like me when I was in college physics. Uh, lab. I pretty, it didn't take me very long to figure out. I, I, I have got to have a strong lab partner. So the day that they took us into the lab and had us pick partners, I was eyeballing. I was like, I am not going for anybody who is cool and good looking. I'm going for somebody who looks smart because I'm going to be the weak oxen and I need a strong one who's going to pull me through. And I found him and he was the most wonderful, brilliant guy. And I said, here's the deal. I will type up everything you ever tell me to type up. Our reports will look great, but you're going to have to help with content because I'm going to be a preacher someday. I am not uh, cut out for physics. All right. So what, what Jesus was saying is, look, you're yoked in with something every single day. You're yoked in with your problems, you're yoked in with your burdens, you're yoked in with your family, you're yoked in with your children, you're yoked in with stuff all the time. The problem is, anything shy of Jesus, you're the bigger animal. And that means you're going to carry all the burden. But the great thing about Jesus, when you yoke in with him, he's the bigger animal. That's why it says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's get yoked in with Jesus. If we're going to work on this, this guilt, and it's not just mom guilt. I think dads, we feel it sometimes as well, right? And so all of us, this doesn't just only apply to married people who have children. This just applies to anybody. This passage is a great passage for us all. I want to make three observations of benefits, three benefits that will come to those of us if we could get rightly yoked in with Jesus, rightly associated and connected in with Jesus. The first one is this. You'll find a renewed sense of identity. That's the first one. You'll find a renewed sense of identity. We uh, have, in a, especially, I guess I should say the women, have so many different roles these days, it seems. Uh, probably any number of you could call out uh, labels, hats that you wear, proverbially speaking. Like, I'm a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a friend, I'm a boss, I'm an employee, I'm a chauffeur, I'm a decorator, I'm a chef, I'm a personal shopper, on and on and on you go. How could it not get confusing for you, right? To, to figure out, who in the world am I? I am all these things you're thinking. One of my friends said, sometimes I feel more like a human doing than a human being, which reminds me of Sheila Walsh. 
You might not know who she was unless you were kind of doing the Christian thing uh, several decades ago. She was a Christian singer back in the late 80s and 90s. And she was traveling all around the country, singing in big venues, thousands of people who would listen to her music. So, and she would fly back and she was hosting a, uh, a, a TV, a television uh, talk show as well. And so this is a woman who was accomplishing a lot of stuff, highly visible, highly out front, um, well-known Christian sort of uh, celebrity back then. She said on the surface, everything looked great, but down beneath, I was losing who I was. I was unraveling on the inside and losing myself. She said, I was forgetting simple things like when I'd pull up to the ATM machine, what's my passcode? She said, or I'd be interviewing somebody uh, for the show, and I'd be like, what the, who, are, who am I talking to? What's my next question? She said, I just felt like I was coming unglued. And finally, one day, she was admitted into a psychiatric hospital, and she describes the counselor who uh, met with her. And they sat down, and he said to her, so now who are you? And she said, well, I'm Sheila. And he said, no, no, who are you? And she said, oh, well, I'm a Christian music artist. He said, no, that's... That's not it. He said, who are you? She said, I'm the host of a Christian television show. He said, no, nope, I'm not asking you. What do you do? I'm asking you who you are. And she said, I didn't have an answer for who I was. Well, they counseled together for some weeks and she got on the antidepressant that she needed to be on and, and she got better and I believe to this day she is better, but she tells a story and it's, it's really a great story of a turning and of a, of a new sense of identity that she discovered in Christ, the same Christ that she had been talking about, singing about, preaching about, you know, and all, but something had happened and it's like she had exchanged the yoke and she picked up all of these other burdens and responsibilities and all that she was carrying along and she just losing herself. She tells the story though of the day that she checked out and she was walking across the parking lot and the counselor threw open the window and hollered out down to her and said, Sheila Walsh, who are you? And she said, I'm Sheila Walsh, daughter of the King of Kings and nobody can touch that. Ladies, gentlemen, who are you, by the way? The only way you're ever gonna get down to the nub of who you really are is, is to meet Jesus. And not just to meet him like 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, but to walk with him daily, daily putting his yoke on. Why? Because he's bigger and he's stronger. And he talks to you and he reminds you, here's who you are are. Here's who I always created you to be. But you see, you'll never experience that. If you're living just to get out of bed and get to work or get the kids taken care of or do the chores or run the organization or be the CEO or, or you know, accomplish things in life, you'll lose sight very quickly of who you are because you'll be yoked in with that, and you'll always be the bigger animal, which means you'll be carrying all the load yourself. Not only does being yoked in with Christ clear up our fuzziness about who am I, the second thing it does 
gives us freedom. Freedom from having to prove ourselves to many, so many of us. And this includes the men, right? This is not just the women. We feel so desperate to prove ourselves to others. Uh, we're determined to accomplish new things. And why do we want to do that? Because we want people to say, wow, that was really great what you just did. That makes us feel good. I'm worthwhile. But don't you realize, why are you so overcommitted? Why are you so overextended? Why are you so exhausted? Why are you overwhelmed by your career? Why are you, you worn out even by family? Because somewhere in, in the midst of all the goings on, you took off the yoke of Christ and you put on the yoke of trying to prove yourself. You tried to prove yourself at work or in your home or somewhere along the way, you put that on and you said, I'm gonna show them. And you're learning the hard way, you're the bigger animal, which means you're shouldering the load, you're carrying the weight, you're feeling the burden of all of that. It's dreadful, it's exhausting, it wears you out. I think of the story that uh, Ben Stewart uh, tells from years ago, back in the first year of the church, actually, when he had come on to be our first student pastor. And the staff was basically me and Ben, and that's all that there were. And, but I didn't realize this was going on inside of him, but apparently he was feeling some sense of apprehension because he'd never been a youth pastor. Of course, I'd never been a pastor, a senior pastor. And, and, but he was feeling this apprehension. He was very afraid, so I would later learn, that I would be disappointed in him, that I'd be upset with him, and that eventually I was just going to fire him. And so he reached out to another one of his mentors, Greg Mott, who is now the pastor at First Baptist in Houston, but was then still serving as the director of Breakaway Ministries, where Ben would later go. And he described to, to Greg what he was feeling. And Greg had some great words for him. I want to just read to you um, what he said. He said, Ben, your job is simply to walk with God. All of your life, all your ministry will flow out of that walk with God. Presently, Greg said, I'm walking with God as the director of Breakaway. And if the board continues to like the way I do it, they'll keep me here. If they end up not liking it, they'll fire me. But I'll not lose my job because my job will still be to walk with God. So he said, Ben, when you think about it, you and I have the same job, walking with God. I'm doing it at Breakaway and you're doing it at this new upstart church you know, called Faith Bridge. And if Ken likes the way that you'll do it, he'll keep you around. If not, he'll fire you. But he can't fire you from your job because your job will always be to walk with God. I just have a sneaking suspicion there's any number of you here, not just the moms, not just the ladies, but men too. You need to hear that because your identity and your sense of I've got to prove myself are so tied up in the things that you're doing and the relationships that you're part of and your family and all of these things, none of which are necessarily bad, but none of them are strong enough to sustain you. And you're gonna be carrying that load. You can't, <laughs> you can't prove yourself. As a matter of fact, you remember what the gospel is. Let's just rehearse the gospel once more. The gospel 
is proof that you're not enough. That's what the good news is, that you have fallen short, that I have fallen short, that every one of us has fallen short, that all of our best of works are like filthy rags to our God. But the good news is not that he therefore slammed the door on us and quit on us, but that he said, but I'm coming after you and I love you. And that he sent his own son, Jesus, who would come into this world and live the perfect life that you couldn't live and that I couldn't live. But we sure try, don't we? And we're trying to prove that we can to other people. He said, you can't do it. I'm the only one who can live that life. And then he died the death that you deserved, the death of punishment for your sins. He took that for us as our substitute. And then he conquered the grave and says, if you would just link yourself to me, you too can have life abundant life now and everlasting life then. So why don't you yoke yourself in with me? Again, my concern is whenever I say the word gospel, I think many of you are like, oh yeah, I did the gospel. I got the gospel, I did that. Like it's something that you went to a conference or a, 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 a service or a retreat on, and you said yes to Jesus and you came home and sort of put that up on the shelf. No, see the gospel, the good news is a message that we have to keep preaching to ourselves every single day. I'm gonna fall short. I'm going to goof up. Why do I keep trying to prove to other people that I'm so great? I am not so great. That's why Jesus came to save me. I have to keep preaching over and over to myself, and I'm choosing you, Jesus. You are the better portion. You are the bigger animal. I'm yoking myself in for, with you, and I'm asking you to free me up from this sense of having to prove myself over and over and over. So, being yoked in with Christ. Second thing, first thing, it helps us keep our identity clear, not forget who we are. And secondly, it helps us feel freed up from having to prove ourselves. A third thing, the most logical one, and that is it supplies us with supernatural strength for the journey. When you're yoked in with Christ, he being the bigger, stronger one in that yoke, it, well, it's like this. I was thinking of uh, an example. You know how it is when you go to, uh, to the gym and you are like lifting weights and so you're, let's say you're chest pressing, right? And you're, you're pushing the weight up and you do it until you, the, the muscle starts to fail and you try to get the number of reps in and everything. And, but finally, you, your muscles start getting fatigued and they start to fail. And if you have a good spotter, your spotter's right there and saying, you can do it, you can do it, and kind of has the fingers there under the bar, but, but isn't really applying any, any strength, right? Until finally you fail. And then the, the, the spotter applies maybe 10%, 20% of his own strength, in my instance, probably about 90%, and, and helps lift that bar off of our chest. Right, you got that picture in mind? That is not 
what Jesus is offering. See, I think that that is what, what many people think to be yoked in with Christ is I'm gonna run hard, I'm gonna uh, you know, work hard, I'm gonna do my most, my best for Jesus and for the world, and then when I start to crumble and crater and run out of strength, he's gonna kick in and he's gonna carry us over the finish line. That's not what he's offering. No, he's offering something altogether different and altogether better. He's saying, no, don't you realize, because I am the bigger animal, not only will I provide the strength to carry my weight, but I'll carry you as well. So many times, often, you'll feel, if you're yoked in with me, like your feet aren't even quite hitting the ground, because I'm carrying you. You just take one step, and you realize, here I am. He's giving me the strength, and you take the next step, and he just keeps carrying you along. You have this supernatural strength when you're yoked in with Christ. When I'm trying to think of a good example of someone who can attest to the strengthening power that comes through being yoked in with Christ, I couldn't help but think of my own wife, Suzanne. Um, many of you don't know her, uh, these days, and those of you who were here back in the early days of the church, you, she used to be up front all the time. But nowadays, not, not so much so. In fact, uh, one lady came up and said, you know, I only figured out who your wife was when she was up front uh, for a rare occasion here at the recent Renew uh, for the women. And I walked up to her and she said, I said, uh, wow, you really do exist. I always wondered who you were. She really does exist. And uh, I got a photo here. That's our family. That's Suzanne, and, and Wesley's the older one. I just baptized him uh, that day, and William's the younger one. And <clears throat> so, anyhow, um, Suzanne carries uh, a load that is the load she has to carry with the uh, uniquenesses of our family, of our boys, of their needs, um, she moves in close to them and helps them with the homework and, and with the reading and all of those sorts of things. And she carries the load of being married to me, uh, full of idiosyncrasies. And I'm kind of high maintenance myself, right? And so I'll just admit it. And she absorbs that and, and carries that along as well. Not only that, but she carries vicariously, and I'm having to learn how to be appreciative of this and respect this and, and understand this, but vicariously, she, she carries the stress of being pastor to a lot of people in a large church with a large staff with a lot of unique problems and things like that, and she picks up on that for me, and she's carrying that along as well. But I'll tell you what I love about Suzanne for our purposes right now. There's plenty of things, but talking about the strength that Christ provides. Suzanne has an ability, like few other people I've ever known, to go away with the Lord for 30 minutes, an hour, and to come back a different person. She'll just be, you can tell, I mean, she feels the stresses that all of us feel, and, and you can see when she's exhausted and irritable and these sorts of things. That, nothing that unique about it. But this is what's unique and what I so respect about her, that she will announce, all right, boys, I got to go alone and be with the Lord for a little while. 
and she'll go back and close the door. And that's not code for I'm taking a nap or I'm going online to do some shopping. You know, it, no, it's like I'm going to get out my Bible and I'm going to read God's word and do some journaling and, you know, pray. And, and I'm telling you, the door will open an hour later and visibly, palpably, we can see the difference. You see it in the sparkle in her eye. You see it in her smile. It's just different, different good. And it's at that point I'm like, she's back in with Christ, rightly yoked the way it needs to be. That's why I don't ever discourage her when she says, I need to have some time with the Lord. I used not to really understand that, but I've, I've just seen how truly it transforms her, just those minutes do. In fact, I'll tell you one other story that gives you insight to something else that I've been doing, we've been doing. Uh, some time ago, I, I have two dear pastor friends, Steve Besner at Houston Northwest Church and Dave Garrison at Northside Christian. And we have been reaching out to befriend several Jewish rabbis and several Muslim imams. Now, that'll stretch you a little bit, right? Because we don't know anything much about them other than what you hear on the news. And, but it's like, I want to find out myself. And, uh, and so we've been reaching out, and we've had a small group, the seven of us, that are just getting together, and we're learning from each other. And it's, it's really very interesting and, and very fulfilling. Well, uh, a couple of months ago, we were trying to figure out, as we were fig- finishing, what's going to be our action step? And I said, well, why don't the next time we come together... Why don't we have dinner and we'll have it at our home and you bring your spouses and you bring your children. Just, does everybody come? It'll just be great. I did forget to mention that to Suzanne before I extended the invitation, but she, as always, was gracious and said, actually, that's going to be great. It's going to be great for the boys to, to have this experience. And, and so uh, leading up to it, I wasn't thinking much about it, but she was thinking a lot about it. I mean, she was studying up and she learned correctly. She's like, you realize it being during 6 p.m. on a Saturday, the imams are going to have to have a place to pray. They have to have a, and it has to be a clean space because that's the custom. It, I said, well, that rules out the boys' rooms. And so, so <laughs> we're going to have to have a clean room that they can go in and do their praying. And, and so she's learning and, and we had learning what halal food is and kosher food and because you, you when we serve Gentiles, you just serve whatever, right? And so I had to learn a whole new cuisine. And there's so many things that we were learning. All the while, I noticed something. She wasn't getting stressed out. She wasn't getting all worked up. And the normal things that you feel if, if you ever host, especially if you ever host people of different, very different religions and that sort of thing. And I'll tell you why. Because that whole week leading up to it, she just kept taking us back to Jesus. Every night, she's like, let's pray about the big dinner that we're having. Like, we just prayed about that last night. I know, but let's pray. But we need to pray about it again. She even got other ladies and other friends in other cities praying about that, that people would just feel the love of Christ that night in our home. And that night came, and I'm telling you, it was, it was wonderful. In fact, I got a couple of photos. Um, there was so much openness and so much laughter and, and so much just, being real and telling our stories, there was so much Jesus 
that night. The love of Jesus was there. What made me so proud of her and grateful was that leading up to it, she even declared, I'm not going to let this one get, get us stressed out. We're not going to let the devil get in on this one. We're just going to keep going to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he answered. And I thought again, when we're yoked in with Christ, he carries us. He carries the burdens. He gives us that supernatural strength that if we're trying to flesh it on our own, you'll never have. You'll always fall short. You'll always run out. You'll always explode on other people. Of course you will, because you're the bigger animal. You're carrying that stress, which is why I close by asking you the three questions. Are you carrying a little bit more of a load than maybe Jesus ever had in mind for you to be carrying right now? Are you still trying to prove yourself? I've got to prove, I'm going to show them. By golly, I'm going to show them. Really? It might mean you're a little confused about your identity. Who are you really? Aren't you a child of the king of kings? If you're a child of the king of kings... If you're a child of the king of the universe, who cares? Nobody can take that away from you. So, come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and burdened. Let me give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's turn to him now. Lord, my sense is that in our midst are a lot of us who needed just a little tune-up along these lines especially those of us who are believers, who are followers. We've said yes to you, Jesus, but we're not yoking ourselves in with you, not every day, not every week, sometimes not every month. We're yoking ourselves in with everything else, and we get so frustrated and so angry and so exasperated and worn out and irritated at other people, and, but of course we should because we're the bigger animal in that instance. And our burden is going to be heavy because we're carrying the freight for ourselves and for them. But you're saying all along, I offer more. Why do you keep strapping yourself up to those things? Why don't you strap yourself in with me? Because I can make all things clear about yourself, your identity, your need for freedom. You don't have to prove yourself. And I'll supply all the strength that you need according to my riches and glory. So right now in this quiet moment, I just invite you, why don't you just surrender yourself to him? Why don't you just right now say, I'm, I'm bowing my head, I'm bending my neck, I'm saying, Jesus, I want to be strapped on to you. Would you please put your yoke on me? Because then I'll have life. And that's what I want. And that's what I need. That's what we all want. And that's what we all need. So 
Fill us full of your Holy Spirit. Won't you lead us along? Thanks for your grace. Thanks for your power. Thanks for a gentle word that you gave us here in Matthew 11. Just to remind us of how this works. Help us not to forget it now as we go out of here, but to keep it at the forefront of our minds and heart as we go into this week. I pray, God, last of all for not just the mothers here who feel guilt, but there's other people, they're feeling guilt. Maybe people who wanted to be moms, but they, something didn't work right, and somehow they feel like, I, I wonder if I'd have done this, if it could have happened, or others who they feel guilty maybe even about the way that they mothered. Maybe they say, I, I didn't do such a good job. Maybe uh, any number of instances. I pray, God, that you would speak to all of us through this passage because it's a passage that applies to us all. Won't you carry us? I'm asking all these things in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.